Today we will be in Titus chapter 2, and uh, we'll open our Bibles there. If you need a Bible, one of the ushers in the back would love to give you one. They have a couple right now, and they can come and bring them to you. Uh, we're in a, se- a series called Church Basics, and our Church Basics is the second of three parts, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. We are in the second part. So Titus chapter 2, New Testament letter, Paul to Titus. There we go, some Bibles out to everybody, good. Well, considering it is um, the Halloween season, I'm sure some of you have been to a pumpkin patch, visited a farm, and you saw the farm animals there. I, I, I think I'm, a, I'm an animal lover. Um, uh, horses, they're, they're just strong and uh, majestic. I, I, we were down at the fair, or not the fair, but the, the parade a while back, so the Clydesdales, and they just, they, they, I'm in awe of those animals. Or a, a cute little bunny rabbit. I love snuggling a cute little bunny rabbit. Um, animals are pretty cute. But there are certain animals that I think are, are quite ugly, and I've decided that the pig is a disgusting animal. We, we visited Indiana a couple of years ago, and my wife likes to take us to various historic places, and we went to Homestead. And there they had a, sort of a, a reenactment of what things were in the past and had old artifacts. But there was a pigsty there, and there were several pigs in there. And I, I'd never seen how disgusting a pig was. Um, I, I love bacon, but after that, I'm not sure I like bacon as much anymore. Their short little legs... And then their hair that like doesn't match and we're just kind of scruffy in different places. And it's tromping around these pigs in this mud. And the one big fat one, it relieves itself and then continues to do its business a little more. Tromps around there and then puts its snout in it and sort of moves around inside there. And then steps into its food trough to eat its slop at the same time. It, it was quite disgusting. Uh, pigs, I think, are nasty animals. Now, if you were to take a pig and put a pink dress on it, or to put a gold ring in its nose, a nice gold ring. We, we chuckle a little bit. It's, it's out of place. It doesn't fit, right? But if you take a beautiful bride and you put makeup on and a dress and you adorn her with a ring, it, it is fitting. You're just like, wow. The, the, the bride is not beautiful because of the dress or the adornments of the ring. No, she's beautiful of herself, but they, they highlight her beauty. A pig, not so much. <laughs> Paul is writing a letter to Titus, and Titus is dwelling in in Crete. Uh, Crete was an area that was known for uh, licentiousness, immorality, uh, sensuality. And if you remember last time in chapter 1, Paul uh, quotes one of their poets and says that Cretans are always evil beasts, uh, lazy gluttons, and he says, this testimony is true. (laughs) It's like when you speak of Las Vegas, you, you understand that culture. So here's a young church dwelling in this land. He had just been established by Paul, and um, he, he's concerned for the church. They grew up in this, this, this culture, and now they're, they're in a new culture, the culture of, of Jesus and walking with Jesus. And so he's worried this immorality will, be, will, will cover them. It's like a, a, like a pig with a ring. But on the contrary, he wants them to be distinct from the culture. He wants to see the opposite, whereby their lives that have been changed by Jesus um, adorn Jesus' beauty, show forth his beauty. Jesus in the gospel, already beautiful. He wants it to shine forth. And so that's our big idea this morning. You should see it up on the screen. Uh, Good works adorn the gospel of grace, while grace trains good works. So a life lived well, it shines forth the beauty of the gospel of grace. 
But at the same time, grace is actually the thing that teaches us how to live a life of good works. We're going to see our text in two parts this morning. You'll see gospel adorning. It'll be verses 1 through 10 in your text. And then grace training, verses 11 through 14. And then verse 15 will just be a conclusion, an application to these two first two points. So I'll read 1 through 15. You can follow along, and then we'll dive in. Uh, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, that's stealing, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So we'll begin with gospel adorning in verses 1 through 10. And we're going to see some instructions here on how to highlight, how to adorn the doctrine of God. Look at verse 1. It says, but as for you, this is as for you, Titus, you're in a place where we actually, last chapter we talked about false teachers and he says, and contrary to them, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Like, well, what goes along with sound doctrine? Well, the first thing we have to, is, have to say is, well, what is sound doctrine? Well, sound doctrine in general is it's healthy teaching. It's, it's true teaching. And in this context, it is, it is what the, the apostles passed down and taught. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news of his life. That is sound doctrine, the true gospel. And so he, uh, Titus is supposed to teach what accords with sound doctrine, what harmonizes with sound doctrine. And that is a life that is well-lived in accordance with sound doctrine. Uh, the gospel of, of grace detached from right living is unsound. <laughs> it's like the pig with the ring in the snow, the golden ring, or the pig with the pink dress. Uh, sound doctrine without proper application, it's a problem. Jesus said, like, so Jesus said like this, it's like a man who built his house upon sand. It can be both unshaky and potentially fatal. And knowing the truth but not responding to it in a way that is appropriate is trouble. And so in verses 2 through 10, he's going to talk to various groups of Christians, uh, different seasons of their life, different male and female uh, teachers and servants, and he's going to talk to, again, a list number of character traits, as well as some deeds of what is, um, in what ways can their lives adorn the gospel, highlight the gospel. And 
like all of us, we're all in different seasons and times. There's particular emphasis for different groups. That doesn't mean they all shouldn't cover many of these characteristics, but there's particular emphasis for particular people at particular times. And we're going to look at that. So um, let's look at the first one. It's in verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So the older men, they're supposed to be the rational in their behavior. There's a level of maturity in their lives. They aren't flip-flopping back and forth. They don't say, remember the good old days when it was so great? No, they're faithful today in love and faith and in steadfastness. They're living that way. And then that way, they shine forth the beauty of Jesus. Uh, okay, uh, also look at the, the older women. It says older women likewise. Notice that connecting word likewise. It's saying these aren't distinct things, but there's some emphasis here. Likewise are to be reverent in behavior. So that's you know, God-honoring their deeds. Not slanderers, not talking behind people's back or gossip. Or slaves to much wine. Not tipping the bottle a little too much. Wasting your life. All right? uh, and they are to teach what is good and so train the young women. So there's an area here where these, these older women are there later in their life a little bit. They don't have the demands of a, a young family at home. And so they're not supposed to just waste it. They're supposed to be productive and building up and edifying and investing in the younger generation and helping them to grow in, in faith and, 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 and growing in Jesus. And this, it beautifies, it shows forth the, the glory of who Jesus is. This is that the older women. And then it says young women. Young women are to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Here, here's a stage of life where young women have young families, and there's lots, lots of demands, and there's children that need to be raised up for the next generation to know Jesus and to walk in Jesus. And so they have a particular emphasis, they have a heart for the home, to, to care for their children and ensure that they're, they're walking in Jesus. And they're supporting their husband's leadership and standing alongside him in a way that he's supported and encouraged. And just a particular emphasis of the family and the home. And the, the older women are helping them to grow in that way. Now, I, I'm sure you know this. This is countercultural a bit to um, our society right now. It, it's kind of against many of the things that are told to young women. Be independent. Be empowered. And, and I'm not going to defend that. I'm just going to say that there is some beauty in this. There's some beauty in how uh, if a young woman heeds God's word and loves and cares for her family, there's a way that Jesus is beautified or shown to be beautiful. And in particular, it says that the word of God may not be reviled. Uh, God has a particular design for people and who they are and how they work. And he's saying, if you do this, the word of God is going to be shown to be true, the way that I've designed things in life. All right, look at verse 6. Younger men. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. <laughs> Does anybody kind of like, what? Why do the guys, get, the younger men get one of them? <laughs> Just be self-controlled. Well, I don't know exactly why, but I'm guessing younger men are like, you know, a little bit passionate, they, 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 they kind of just need one thing to focus on, right? You, you just be self-controlled, right? There's strength, there's power, they can accomplish a lot, but they're just all, the, all over the place sometimes. So focus on being self-controlled. Use what God has given you, your vim and your vigor, to show forth how good I am in your life. I think guys just need to focus on one thing. <laughs> then Titus, it says, verse 7, Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, 
and your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that you cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. So Titus is supposed to live a, a, a credible life. If, he, if, he's a, if he's a teacher, then his life should be lived in a way that people have to listen to his teaching. They can't just write him off as saying, I'm not going to listen to that guy. He doesn't match up with what he's saying. There's integrity, there's dignity in what, he, what he's doing. And when he does that, it says that an opponent may be put to shame. They can't speak evil against what he's doing. They can't say, look at his life. Look what he is. Now, this doesn't mean that Titus probably didn't have evil spoken against him. It's like Jesus. Jesus was absolutely perfect, but there was evil spoken against him. But they had to give false charges, false testimony. That's the kind of way you want to be disliked as a Christian. Not because of you're a jerk, <laughs> but, but because, and not because you're two-faced, but because you are shining forth the gospel in a way that's offensive at times, like Jesus' life is. Verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, again, stealing, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So bond servants were those who were under the authority of someone else, either by their own choice of being sold to a master or not by choice, maybe through war or something. And this isn't to say the Bible is condemning this sort of practice, but it is saying if you're a Christian and you, you're, in this sort of, you're in this setting, that the way that you shine forth uh, Jesus is that you're honorable. You're honorable. You're, 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 your employer can trust you. Your master can trust you. And you're living in such a way that you uh, shine forth how Lord is good. You're, you're not rebellious. You're not unsubmissive. You're submitting to those who are in authority over you because we're all placed under authority. Now, I want you to look at this a little bit. I want to give you an illustration. I um, coach soccer, and when I have a team, I have forwards in the front, trying to score the goals, my midfielders controlling the center of the field, and I have my defense. Now, all of them need to know how to shoot the ball. All of them need to know how to defend. Um, but there's qualities there, but they particularly, there's an emphasis for those who are forwards that don't have a score. They, they need to really practice their shooting. They got to be well at it. A defender has got to protect that goal. The ball cannot get in. And so that's kind of the same way as here. We are Christians. We're on a team together. We're to shine forth the goodness of God. And the way we do that is we, we play our roles at different seasons and times and who we are in a way that then displays the beauty of Jesus. And if you look at this text, uh, there's like two defensive purposes and one offensive purpose. Uh, the defensive purpose, you found it in verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. So it's a protection of that the word of God be treated like it ought to be. It's of respect. And then in verse um, 8, that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say. It silences opponents. Uh, that's the defensive aspect. But the offense of the attack is that verse 10, the last of it, that in everything uh, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's really the most, the most important, that Jesus is shown to be beautiful, that your life highlights in a way that, man, what God has done, what Jesus has done in their life, it shines forth how good Jesus is. This is the, this is the offensive purpose. It, it adorns the gospel. As a Christian, your character and your deeds, your character first, then your deeds, they matter. They matter to how Jesus is shown to be beautiful. He is a beautiful apart from us, right? It doesn't matter who we are. Jesus is the beautiful apart from us. But when we 
Well, work as our team, our Christians, we have the privilege of showing forth the beauty of Jesus. We have a part to play in doing that. But is, is it easy? <laughs> no. I, I know each one of us know we failed and who we are as designed. Think of the Cretans. It's especially hard when you're in a culture that wants to pull you down, right? You're part of that culture. Think of the, sec- the sensuality they were involved, they were part of. Or, or think of us. You go to your mall and there's just you know, sexual um, signs. Of, look at a TV program. Look on the internet. There's things that want to pull us down, pull us back into the culture. Uh, think about tonight. Uh, one of the highlights for many people tonight is just, you know, um, drinking as much as you can and enjoying that. There's a temptation there, right? Or uh, think of the, the news and the different things that are going on in our culture right now, how people are very loose-lipped and having stain their opinions and giving you a piece of their mind and and it, it seems like appropriate times, like it's okay to slander. It's our culture does that to us. Or specifically in this text, just the idea of being gendered. We as a Christians believe that God made men and women, made them unique, and they complement each other. But our culture doesn't want to say that. They'd say that are all the same, and you can sort of move back and forth. It isn't by design. So we live in this culture. So what do we do? How do you, how do you battle that? Well, I just think it's this way. First, by faith, we got to trust in the word of God. Trust that living according to God's word, is it will adorn the gospel. But even more than that, it's not about our faith. It is about the grace of God that enables us. It's not in us, it is outside of us that does this. And that's what leads us to point two, the grace of God. The grace of God is what trains us, empowers us to live for Jesus. So let's look at verses 11 through 14. I'll read that first verse. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Do you see something sort of unique here and interesting? Grace, it appeared. Grace arrived. It manifested. Grace shows up. It's spoken of grace has appeared. And grace has appeared and it brought something. What has grace appeared and brought? Grace has appeared and brought salvation. Salvation is what everyone needs. We need our, our sins, the things that we've done wrong, our shame and our guilt tell us about that. We need salvation. And grace shows up, arrives, appears, and brings what everyone needs. I, I think oftentimes uh, people, we as people, gain a wrong perception of who God is. We think of him wrongly. We can think of him as you know, I really like to do that thing over there, but I can't because God's watching. And it's like he wants to quench some of the joy we might have. Even like thinking about tonight, I think, oh, I want to do this thing, but oh, God, God, God's watching. He, doesn't want, he wants to ruin kind of my fun. It's just the wrong way to think about, about the Lord. It is so wrong. It, 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 is, it is actually God that wants to bring joy to you. It wants to be joy in our lives. And it, it begins with his gracious nature. Uh, Stephen, what book is he leading, through us, leading us through right now? Exodus, right? And in, in Exodus chapter 34, we'll get there in, uh, soon, maybe a few years. <laughs> we'll get there soon. Here, Moses asked God, show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. And God says, this is who I am. I'm the Lord God, gracious and merciful abounding in love and faithfulness, steadfast love and faithfulness. 
He says, I do judge to the third and fourth generation, but to the thousands I show mercy. God is is a judge, and he's just. And we can be grateful for that, because there's so many things in our world that are wrong and need to be judged, but his first and foremost characteristic of it just comes from his heart is a gracious and merciful God who looks to show favor and to help. This is the truth. And And this truth was most manifest when grace showed up, when grace was embodied. Grace was embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Grace, God, it says that Christ, our Savior, he, he came. He's both Lord and God. That he, he has come. We see that in verse 13. God and Savior, he has come. He has come to, to save. And the embodiment of grace arrived. So why, why, we ask, I think many of them know this, but why did he give himself? Well, it says in particular, look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us. There was a, his grace is a giving. Actually, the word grace means to give. He gave of himself, he sacrificed of himself to redeem us. That means to redeem his people, to pay for every penalty of sin that was deserved from all on lawless and to purify not just to save, but then to make pure and right and, and, and to create a people for himself. He, he loves his people. So when grace comes, you can read of grace. You, you can see a doctrine, but grace actually showed up. It's like God coming with a big hug and just you know, going past words to just actions. He shows up. He comes in your life. And he does that. Why? Create a people for himself who are zealous for good works, it says. There's a purpose there. There's a zealous, uh, that the life of Jesus would be manifest in his people and out. So, this is how grace and works, this is how they meld together. They're really inseparable pairs. They're inseparable pairs. Saving grace, grace that saves, actually, it works out in a person's life. I think most of you know this verse, but I'm going to quote it to you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? For by grace have you been saved through faith. So you're not saved by your works. It is the gift of God. God gives it, not of works. We can't earn salvation. It's not, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us, lest any of us should boast. Oh, I did it. No, God did it. Jesus did it. But in condition, or in conjunction to that, next verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's a purpose for your life. There's a design for your life that you would live out the works of Jesus. And and it says that God prepared that beforehand, that you should walk in him. He prepared prepared these works for you before you were even here, that you should walk in them. Good works are never to gain favor with God. It cannot be done. If you're not a Christian, uh, you might say, well, um, I, I, I don't need salvation. Look at the other Christians. <laughs> when, when you look around at Christians, you, you might say, you know, they're worse than I am. Uh, look at them. They're worse than I am. Why, why would I need salvation? Uh, look, what, <laughs> look, what, look what salvation has done for them. What the grace has done for them. And this might even be what the people in, uh, the, these Christians in Crete, they came out of this culture. Uh, they might have looked, like, looked like pigs rather than a bride, right? But... That's the point, is that it's not that the person that cleans them up, themselves up the most, 
is that Jesus saves those who realize they need a savior. That is the way of salvation. So if you can realize, don't compare yourself with someone else, but just to realize yourself, I need a savior. No matter what other people might look like, I know that I'm, I have guilt and I have shame before God. This is what Christianity is. And when that happens, then God transforms a life and he changes you and molds you and shapes you. It may take time. It'll be different from different ways, different people at different times, but he will shape you by, your great, by his grace for the works he has designed for you. And that's what we see in verse 12. We'll go back to verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace is the thing that trains us, that empowers us to live rightly. It is not of our own. We can't boast. Grace trains us to renounce. It means to, to put off the old things. When you look at the beautiful Savior Jesus, you look at his life, what he's done, his past, how he died and gave himself for you, and then you look at this, this future, it says here. Where's the future at? Verse 13. Waiting for this future where he appears this blessed hope, when you look at the past and you look at the future, when he's coming back, you see that there's an empowering there to put off and then to put on, to put on the work of Jesus. If someone loves you and has been so gracious to you, you want to respond to that love in that way. There's an empowering of his spirit that works in your life. Grace changes. I'll give you the example of um, sensuality. We've been talking about that. That's what the Cretans had to deal with. Pornography, lust. When we gaze back at what Jesus did to pay for our sins, the, the, the lust, the, the different, we gaze back and see the sacrifice, the, the pain he had to went, he went to, through for us to, to pay for it and cover that for us. And then we gaze forward to think of the day when he will arrive and we get to be with him. It, it, it puts today in perspective a little better. The, those images you might see or the things you might um, might, might, might be tantalizing. When you put them in light of Jesus, it, it helps to see, no, Jesus is more beautiful than these things. But that doesn't mean it's easy. This, at the church office, Ben tries to tempt me. And I actually think it was Renee originally. They brought in this bag of chocolate-covered coffee beans. All right? And I saw those beans, and I thought, I don't really like coffee very much, but I like chocolate, and uh, I, like, I like the flavor of that. So I began each day to eat two, three, four, five, six of these beans, like within a few minutes. And uh, after a few days, I don't know if you know, but my stomach was rumbling. My head was kind of like spinning. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen me drunk, but that might have been what it looks like. And uh, I, I realized pretty quickly, this is not good for me. It looked good, but it wasn't good. It, it, it just ended up causing me pain. Then I returned back to my good old-fashioned apple or banana. And I was thinking, wow, this is what's really beautiful. <laughs> Keep putting your eyes upon the beauty of Jesus. There are things that will like lead you away for a while, but you've got to return back to Jesus. Read of his life. Think about the deeds that he performed and the kindness. He reached out and he touched lepers and he, and he, he reached out to sinners and he said, come follow me. <laughs> how kind of that. Learn of his heart. How it is his very nature to want to save sinners and to come after them. Knowing Jesus who is grace embodied, it trains the people to be zealous for good works. And we're going to conclude now. 
Look at verse 15. This is actually kind of the, the main driving. This is what you're supposed to do in response to this. It says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So Titus, he's told, declare these things. All right. Well, what things? Well, it's everything we've just been talking about. That, that good works, they shine forth the gospel. Tell people about that. And that a life transformed by the gospel of grace, it, it, it will produce good works. It will produce them in our character and in our deeds. But at the same time, it, it, grace is also the very source by which we do that. It, it's the strength. It's the empowerment. It, and Christians will be zealous because of grace, because Jesus is so good and he's so beautiful. That's what he's supposed to tell. But notice how strong it is here. Look, look at these words. Declare, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is, this is no just sort of a, a wimpy command. It is a firm command. And, and why? Because sacrificing grace is a grave threat to the church to sound doctrine. We, it is Reformation uh, Sunday. And think of how the Lord raised up a man like Martin Luther, not perfect. Many of you probably know some of his history. But he raised up a man that said, we need to return to a gospel of grace through faith alone. And he declared it, and he, he was dogged in making sure that the, the, at the time the Catholic Church, those in authority, had to listen and those brought back and restored grace. This is what the responsibility of all Christians in different ways. Martin Luther was a particular man, but you also, you have your own season. You, you might be younger, you might be a child, you might be a youth, you might be a mother or a father. I don't know where, where you work or if you're going to school. But each of us has a responsibility, like Titus does here, to declare. You've been given the authority, as a Christian, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who gave you that authority? Jesus did, right? All authority has been given to him, and he gave it to you to proclaim the good news, to stand for the grace of Jesus Christ. It's our authority to do that. But it can be scary, right? I know for myself... It's scary. I have a, a tendency to have a, a fear of what people might think, uh, a fear of man. You know, I, I like people to like me. <laughs> I don't know if you do, but I like people to like me. I also, um, I, I don't want, I, I, uh, conflict isn't my favorite thing. You know, I'm okay to get into conflict, but it's not my favorite thing. But here's a strong word that says conflict is important at times. You're, you're, my own feelings about um, how it might hurt me uh, I might feel better. People might like me. It's less important than this gospel of grace to be proclaimed. So, declare salvation through Christ alone. Declare it in your life. Exhort, exhort others. Exhort them to flee from um, righteousness gained through your own works. Help them to realize you can't do anything of your own. And rebuke those who would say, you know, I'm going to sin that grace might abound. You know, I'm saved. Grace is so good. I'm going to sin anyways. Rebuke those things. It's not true. The gospel, the good news, grace through faith, it, it, it works out. So friends, I declare to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under the authority of this God's word and the authority of the elders here that Jesus 
died for your sins, that he rose three days later, ascended from the grave, and that all who put their faith in Jesus Christ, apart from their works, will be saved according to the scriptures. And that from that life, it'll be a life that's transformed for the goodness, for the glory of Jesus. It'll adorn the gospel. And you'll be a people, those who believe in Jesus, who put their faith in him, who are zealous for good works. It is a responsibility of you, of me, of this church, to proclaim this message, message uh, till the end of our days. So, how are we to adorn the beauty of Jesus? Well, know that you are Jesus' people. He loves you. He called you out. Think about who you once were and who he's made you to be now. Gaze on his beauty, uh, what he's done in the past, and what he will do in the future. When you're, when you're tempted or you're struggling, gaze on his beauty above the thing there. And, and it'll help you to resist the, tra- the attractions of this life that lead us away. Let your character and your deeds be shaped with time. Be patient. Let, let the Lord shape you. Consider, what particular season of life are you in right now? Oh, what, what, what is going on in your life? Where would the Lord have you particularly as part of this team to grow and change, be changed, to adorn Jesus? I'm going to close with one final verse. I'll read it for you. Revelation 19, in the end, it says this. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen, fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. <laughs> Pigs and fine linen, they don't go together. But a bride was made for fine linen. And you who are Christians who are made for fine linen, let your adornments shine forth the beauty of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for grace. We thank you that you have saved us and we're assured of salvation through Jesus Christ. We want to grow in knowing the beauty of Jesus, how wonderful he is. We want to know his heart more. And so, Lord, teach us and help us to grow, help us to see the beauty of Jesus. And we pray that as we see Jesus' beauty, that the attractions of our culture, of our world, would grow more dim. As we fail, Lord, help us return to Jesus and trust in his grace. But, Lord, we ask that our lives would be led in such a way that Jesus is shown to be beautiful. Help us, Lord. Empower us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.